We live in a culture that celebrates positivity. Speak positively, good vibes only. Don't manifest that kind of energy. So what about when things aren't going as swimmingly as we might have hoped? Might we speak honestly? Could we tell the truth, even if it's negative? This is Everything Happens, and I'm Kate Bowler. There are some people who act like human truth serum. When they say the true thing, it makes everyone else follow suit. My kid is having issues at school and I'm worried he's falling behind. Ah, same, same, same. My aging mom lives alone and I don't want to take away her independence. I don't know what to do. Same, same, same. Oh, your marriage is struggling? Same. I'm worried I've missed it, the opportunity or the relationship or the chance to apologize. Same. Sometimes people help you echo back the truth with a clear and resounding same. Today, I'm talking with the human bottle of truth serum herself, Kate Bear. Kate Bear is an author and poet. Her first book, What Kind of Woman?, was a number one New York Times instant bestseller, and she has a new book of erasure poetry called I Hope This Finds You Well. Kate, I'm so glad to be speaking with you. I am so excited. We were joking beforehand. This show should be called Kate and Kate. <laughs> we're the two Kates, yes. and yes. I love it. I picture um, like I'm a so Lizzie McGuire style. Yeah. Like we both yeah. have like shirts with lapels sewn in, and that's... <laughs> yeah. And it's and really cool, and we love it, and we love our vibe, and we don't care how dumb it looks. <laughs> and it ends with a duet. Yeah, exactly. Your poetry confronts really hard but often unspoken truths, like the loneliness of parenting, what it feels like to live inside our actual bodies, the difficulties of long-term marriage, the things that women especially may not say aloud. And it, it made me think... Um, there's like a way that we're taught about how we're supposed to act in the world. I wondered what messages do you remember hearing as a kid or as a young person that taught you that conformity was better than the awkwardness of truth? I think a lot of it came from growing up in religion and growing up in a religious school. Although I think also being someone who's living in the Northeast, we just love to plow through our emotions and not really and not really deal with them growing up I read a lot of Amish romance novels which really kind of skimmed over some really real things that happen in relationships um and also like Laureline McDaniels I don't know if you remember back Christian lit for girls it was a really narrow category um, Absolutely. You either had cancer or an unplanned pregnancy, um, or your like brother was maybe on drugs. Anyway, there were like a few plot lines <laughs> <laughs> of books that I read, and I loved them because I loved to read. And then my high school English teacher gave me Margaret Atwood, and I was reading that book, and I was like, "Oh, this book is really talking about some things that are happening." <laughs> in the world and it's not anything like this Amish romance novel and that really changed things for me it was like oh this is the kind of writing I want to do this is the kind of book I want to read and so that was that was a big turning point for me I wonder too because we both have um 
so many Mennonites in our background if just conformity comes naturally to our kind? Yeah, I mean, I'm like the kind of Mennonite. I'm not an ethnic Mennonite, but I... Me too. Oh my gosh, thank you for saying that. Me too. Don't worry. Because I can't play the Mennonite game. None of my ancestors are Mennonite. So, but I was in Mennonite culture from the time I was born all the way through college. So basically a Mennonite. Yeah. And I do think that has something to do with it. Yes. (laughs) A lot of people in our community here at the Everything Happens Project really know what it's like when tragedy strikes. But often there's kind of less language for the ordinary pains of life when lives just sort of run out of steam. And your poem, Girls' Night Out, your first collection of poetry reads, if you don't mind me ruining your poem by saying it in my terrible voice, (laughs) In, in restaurants we argue over who will pay, even though the real question is, who will confess their children are dull or their marriage has holes at the knees? Come on. I mean, it's so good. Like sometimes yeah. life just stalls, doesn't it? Yeah. And I, I know for me, sometimes in these conversations with women where we're just talking around an issue over and over again, and it's like, we don't quite want to say it. Like yes. I'm unhappy at home and my marriage isn't doing very well or this thing at work is really scary. We're just talking around it. And then when you finally get to it. And sometimes it takes more than just one girl's night out. It, it takes a lot of work and work on a relationship. But then when you finally start to have those real conversations, it's just life changing. I am also very invested in these lies that we so often prefer, you know, and that, that's why I'm always so interested in like, not just lies, but like lies I love. Like, oh, I can I can master my life. I can empty my inbox. I can solve the problem of pain. And yeah. it's led me to perfect a lot of half-truths, especially in polite conversation. And you work very hard to try to love the truth more. I wondered what kinds of habits or friendships give that kind of permission to us, like permission to speak honestly about the messiness and the the grief and the disappointment and the loneliness? I think just my personality does not thrive in a small talk situation. And the byproduct <laughs> of that is noticing that when I, sometimes my brain is like, if you just say something, they'll say something real. If I, if I share something that's difficult or scary, it's going to give permission for everybody else to do that. A good example of this is after I had my first, I really was just feeling really free to tell everyone about my anal fissures. <laughs> I was just, I shared this with everyone. Um, I didn't really want to. It's really gross. But as soon as I w- started talking about that or my horrible tearing, all of a sudden, all these other women, it's almost like they like metaphorically threw down their baby and was like, yes, it does still hurt. And yes, this is terrible. And yes, this isn't just like, <laughs> my my life does not ex- ex- like constitute with just this baby in this onesie with the you know what month they are <laughs> on Instagram. It's actually I can't go to the bathroom normally, you know. Um, and I I think that it's not just fissures. It's so much more than that. Um, when you start to share those kind of really real things, it helps everybody else. Not that I'm just like a pioneer in all my friendships that I'm creating these 
um, all these great <laughs> relationships, but that in circles of women, I find that if, if you go first, everybody else will follow. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like we get used to the sound of being honest. Like, yeah. oh, I'm not doing terribly well or yeah, I don't know if this part will ever get better. I think every sentence that begins or ends with not to be depressing should immediately be the thing worth saying. I think underneath everybody wants to have a real conversation um, because that is, that's what leads to connection. That's what leads to all the good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I do usually feel like I'll kind of die in the shallow end of small talk. I'm like, bah. I'm, <laughs> I will never be okay. That's over because here. you're a three. You are trying. <laughs> I think I am just like, oh, I can't hear it. I don't want to hear about your, your kitchen backsplash. Like I, I'm like yes, plugging my right. ears. I'll do anything not to hear about it. Yeah, but Kate, they've, they've really gone a long way in peel and stick. I just saw a recent <laughs> tip. <laughs> It is kind of wild how much like the a category that you talk about a lot because you live it is is motherhood. It does lend itself to either this all encompassing identity or a series of um, much more convenient truths <laughs> where you get to put on Instagram. I mean, you have four beautiful kids and already I mean, that reads so well, Kate, you have four beautiful kids. Yeah, period. Life, life accomplished. Done. Nailed <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. But there's so much more behind that sentence. I did not mean to have four beautiful children. I really should have had two beautiful children, decided just to go for it with the third, scheduled a vasectomy. I then accidentally had a fourth child, which put me into <laughs> a depression. There's so oh. much more behind four children. You know, I yeah. spent my whole fourth pregnancy depressed. I can hardly get out of bed. It was it was such a, a devastating time. That doesn't go well on paper. It also does not translate on Instagram um, because, you know, pregnancy and babies are half of Instagram. And so to say, I actually don't want this at all, <laughs> doesn't yeah. look great. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot behind that period for sure. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm just thinking of so many myths of motherhood that that undoes right away. Like, I, I think like the first thing we feel like we're supposed to say is I'm grateful and uh gosh I can think of like a million things yeah it's so hard too because when I got pregnant I had two friends experience pregnancy loss and there's just so many things that can exist alongside of each other and it was such a interesting juxtaposition to be grieving with these mothers and also grieving for myself who didn't want to be pregnant, which is just such a big life lesson. And you could feel two feelings at the same time, that two things can be true at the same time. I mean, by virtue of the fact that you are a poet and an author, sounds like finding ways to not entirely be eclipsed by the category of motherhood. I imagine it would have to be a discipline, like you had to take a bulldozer to part of your life to do that at all. I have an only, I have a Zach, and already that would take up 100% of available time. Yeah, yes. Um, I had to almost completely change my life to write like I do now, but I'm a late bloomer. You know how sometimes people will say, oh, you're an old soul. 
<laughs> whatever. I'm a new soul. I know nothing. I'm like the biggest idiot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I have to learn everything the hard way. And certainly in motherhood, I've had to learn that it took four whole children for me to say, wait a second, I can't do this full time. I don't even want to do this full time. Yeah. So for me, I had to bulldoze so much, uh, yeah. so much of what I thought I wanted, but really it was just what everybody else wanted, which is such a difficult thing because it feels like you're disappointing people. But in retrospect, I was I was disappointing myself so much that I was doing just a bad job at being alive. And so it was necessary and also deeply poetic to have this fourth child, which was so, he was so kind of traumatic to have end up being the biggest change of my life, which ended up in some really beautiful things. Also, he's wonderful, but ended up changing my life in such a way um, that worked out really well. Why was the fourth a fulcrum in that way? Well, I said things like, I can't breastfeed this baby for more than six months. I need almost full-time childcare. I need to always get my groceries delivered. I need to outsource this and this and this and work harder yeah. on side hustles to pay for childcare so I can write, so that I can maybe get published someday. And without that push, if I hadn't been pushed over the cliff, yeah. if I couldn't have found this big ocean, this this beautiful ocean of, of being able to work and to a mother I, I don't know if that would have happened yeah yeah the, when there's like a little bit left in the tank there's still like a story we we tell yeah <laughs> where where you're like i can muscle through i could still probably keep yeah yeah maybe i could do both i like yeah. right during nap time you know all those kind of things yeah that wasn't yeah that wasn't actually working oh mythical nap time oh that <laughs> that, re, that quote unquote re, re, reset button <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sleep when the baby sleeps. What if <laughs> you want to also do other things? Yes. What if there was a, a part of you that had identity and, and, and yeah. differentiation <laughs> at, a, at another time where it just wanted to watch Netflix? Would you mind reading me your beautiful poem titled Moon Song? It hits on so many of these themes. I just loved it. Yeah. This is called Moon Song, which is page 10. You are not an evergreen unchanged by the pitiless smell. You are not a photo, a brand, a character written for sex or house or show. You do not have to choose one or the other, a dream or a dreamer, the bird or the birder. You may be a woman of commotion and quiet, magic and brain. You can be a mother and a poet, a wife and a lover. You can dance on the graves you dug on Tuesday Pulling out the bones of yourself, you began to miss. You can be the sun and the moon, the dance and victory song. Was that one of the poems you wrote during that season? Yeah, it's or actually one of the first poems I wrote when I went back to work full time. Yeah. <laughs> you were digging out a new self. Yeah. Feels like part of this permission that you're giving us is that it you know, that it is okay to be more than one thing is, is so complicated based on our, I guess, like the stories we're told, but also the story we're telling ourselves. I, I really felt this when I, when I was really sick, I thought right away that the only right thing to do then would be to then devote all the rest of my time with spending time with my family and being a good mom. And like, what do you do with your 
Mary Oliver, one wild and precious life. And I thought like a good mom would not want to sit down and write a hilariously specific historical book about women and <laughs> women and evangelicalism. <laughs> I guess one of the things I had assumed was that totalizing love, like the love I feel for my kid, takes up all the space. And I have just not found that to be true at all. Like I have this totalizing love in which I love the smell of his hair and I love the triangle indent of the bottom of his pinky toe. And I, and yet at the same time, I have these other loves that are like jockeying to, to take up space. And that's part of what makes me just feel so alive in all of them. Mm -hmm. I guess I kind of thought it was like different math. We're like, I 100% love my kid. And therefore that it's like, like subtraction then. And therefore I can only you know, 20% yeah. love work or, yeah. you know, 30% want to ever be in nature, for example. Yeah. Well, humans are really bad at math because also for so many reasons, like in marriage, you know, I think the same thing happens where you think marriage equals this whole love that will satisfy you in all these different ways. And yeah. when really, for me, at least it's like marriage satisfies a bunch of things, but it, it is so far from satisfying all my relationship needs. I mean, my relationships with women are just as important as my marriage. I don't think I'd be able to be married without them because otherwise I'd be looking at this guy like, why aren't you listening? Why don't you care about this? Why don't you want to know what it was like to take the kids to the pumpkin patch in very explicit detail? You know, he, he can only do so much. And I, I think, I don't know. We're just, we're really bad at math and figuring out and realizing there are so many parts to a whole person. Right. And so much of that weight falls on women and caregivers and especially in the pandemic that it has lent itself to like a stripping down of people's lives down to these terrible, you know, bare essentials. And yeah. I, I was so thrilled and confused that you're in the best way that your work then came out of this time of like stripping down where your first book is born in the middle of the pandemic but then it becomes this shared language this clarion call for people who are also looking for permission to find their anger and sadness and unfulfilledness and also love so it made me really want to ask like let's let's talk about your love for Panera bread let's <laughs> Let's let's dig in there for a moment. Let's talk about Panera. I love talking about Panera. It is the funniest thing I talk about because, to be honest, I can't even swallow a bite of Panera food. I can't even. I, like, plug my nose when I'm in there now. I pack a peanut butter and jelly and <laughs> eat it under. Because I can't. I could never eat another bite of it. But I'm so grateful it exists. We moved six months ago, but... But the 10 years before that, I never, I didn't have an office and I lived in a 1200 square foot house with six people, um, you know, as the kid <laughs> kept having children and I had nowhere to write. I had nowhere to write. And um, when I started to work and make that time for myself, I needed somewhere to go. And Panera was one minute away, had free Wi-Fi, never kicked me out lots of caffeine. And that's where I wrote my book. And I am so thankful 
um, I was able to do that. It is like, I I could write a love letter. Thank you so much, Panera Bread. I, I'm so grateful for you to give me this office. <laughs> the pressure to be an idealized Instagram social media self is uh is is its own modern affliction and uh, we can have a whole episode of kate and kate on this topic and we could talk to each other holding up a square like we could put our face in it that's i think what we would do in the episode that's exactly right it's like a filter over top and then it would make our face look really great and then we would take it off that would be really powerful at the end spectacular skin just naturally enhanced yeah. with eyelashes yeah and... i think we should do that that sounds great <laughs> your gentle suggestion that we should accept a higher tolerance for imperfection is very counter very countercultural, my friend I, I so i've written a lot about the the history of women in the spiritual marketplace and the the temptation always is and i find this so interesting in religious history where things ought to have its own sort of inherent purity to it but it's instead like everybody else it takes a thing meant for honesty like say the 2000s and blogging and then it suddenly sort of like moves at a quarter turn where it then becomes a kind of uh you know perfection porn like watch this woman multitask and conquer all things like it 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 idealizes or like shellacs something that was meant to show you more detail you know, you you and I both really want to say honest things on social media, but it is it is not a medium inherent inherently designed for that impulse, is it? Yeah, no, it's not. Like we see this Instagram version of people, and then feel like, oh, if I lived like that, I'd feel a lot better. If my <laughs> house was this organized and this beautiful, and my kids were dressed in linen all the time, I think that I would maybe I would feel fulfilled, just like she seems to be fulfilled. When really, obviously, none of that's true. And even the most self-aware people, it's just so hard to detach from that and to kind of pull those truths apart, I think, for sure. It's not like like I'm over here like, well, I don't do that anymore, so I don't feel that way. That's not true at all. It happens to me all the time. (laughs) And I think the first action step there is, why are you feeling this way? nothing to do with her it has nothing to do with the people who are posting it that's that's their own choice and choice choice to make we just sort of fall into a tar pit of self-loathing though (laughs) oh yeah yeah Yeah. and especially writers or any artist you know you see success of others on instagram or whatever social media but what you're not seeing is all the rejections they had first and Mm -hmm. so it's so difficult to consume that without forgetting that point that they had to go through so much before they got on that bestseller list well they got rejected 15 times 20 times 10 years of rejections 10 years of getting it wrong and not finding their voice and not figuring it out and Mm -hmm. that's what we're missing that's what we're missing Mm -hmm. online yeah right (laughs) yes all the things not said all the things not posted all the things not like eclipsed by the ring light. Yeah. I don't know nearly enough about art history. Remember those like, uh, like in late 
in late antiquity, they started perfecting high relief sculpture, right? Like the, the ones that really like stand out against the uh, buildings and then all the things in the shadows. Just reminded me of your, um, when I read your erasure poetry, like things, poems that are born out of what is said and unsaid in letters and messages you've received. The email you received for a product that combats facial sagging, which is just a truly horrifying term. And and just as an example, in response, you create this uh, erasure poem from the original email that reads, um, how the dead must cringe at our resistance to look as if we've lived. <laughs> I just, I love the emphasis on learning to love our actual bodies, learning to live in the life we have with more dignity than all of the, than the, than the sheer force of capitalism often allows. Yeah, there's so much that we consume on a regular basis that we don't even realize it's telling us that we're not enough and that if we change something in our life, we will feel much better about, yeah. I think you call it being in your meat suit. It's like, if we just do this <laughs> one thing, our meat suit will look a lot better and then we'll feel better and then we'll live this more fulfilled life, which we all know isn't true. And yet we still are like, okay, well, maybe if I put this cream on, but maybe we'll be true. We normally get like really lovely and thoughtful reviews for the podcast because we, you know, we talk about the fragility and finitude and the fact that we're not always living our best life now, which I I think we're just talking about like, I don't know, reality or something. (laughs) But recently one reviewer just wrote, what a downer. And then just had like a, like a sad, like a sad no. downward thumb. And I, I just brought me, I was like, you know what? Thank you. Thank you for this honor of just uh, making me realize I have said something socially unacceptable, which I guess at this point should probably feel like maybe I'm headed in the right direction. You should put that on a t-shirt. That's pretty funny. <laughs> what a downer. Thumbs down. Yeah, well, I mean, that's life. Guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's not the reality you, yeah. you were you were hoping for. Walk on by, yeah. buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, because the cons- yes, it really does violate the construction of the of the artificial life. I, uh, that reminds me of actually of the um. Gosh, what was it called? It was a beautiful, it's something about Halloween. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm writing a book, um, book three right now. And one of them is, one of the pieces is called Adult Halloween. And so I posted it the other day. um, Oh, would you mind reading that? I loved it. Yes. This is called Adult Halloween. To live a life so carefully that you never wait to failure. Never break your own heart. Never see a wall that wasn't painted white. Never stand up to an unforgiving mirror. Never step out on the wet grass singing with your unrelenting courage. The greatest horror is surely this. It's <laughs> so lovely. It's so <laughs> lovely because it does take such courage to live like this, to live out in the open, to risk our own imperfection. And Kate, you give us so much permission to do just that. Thank you for the liberation I experience when I see your beautiful truth. Thank you for reading it. It, um, <laughs> I, It's to myself just as much as it is for anyone else. 
or it could be for our upcoming sitcom, Kate, Kate and Kate. <laughs> or for Kate and Kate. Thursdays <laughs> on NBC. <laughs> Kate, thanks so much for doing this with me. What a joy. It was a joy. Thank you so much for having me. get used to that sound of being honest the way Kate's poetry calls us to. So here's a blessing for telling the truth, no matter how bitter or how sweet. Blessed are you resisting the urge to reframe. You who are sick and tired of silver linings. Blessed are you speaking honestly about what is right in front of you. This is hard Things might not get better. This has gone really horribly. There may not be a different way. You who risk honesty, especially when the world around us craves a bright side. Blessed are we in our gratitude and our pain, our pleasures and our limitations. Blessed are we, the truth tellers, whose candor finds a chorus that echoes back same. May we feel ourselves answered by this language of love, changed where we can and confirmed where we can't, but loved, loved, loved all the same. Don't miss an episode. Be sure to subscribe to Everything Happens wherever you listen to podcasts. Oh, and leave a review while you're there. I would love to hear from you. We always read those reviews and love, love, love hearing your stories. They are really special to us. So come find me online at katecbowler or at katebowler.com. And if you want, join us for Lent. Beginning on Wednesday, March 2nd, we're inviting you to read along with us as we have a good enough Lent. Learn more and download a free discussion guide at katebowler.com Lent. That's katebowler.com slash Lent. Here's the part where I get to thank everyone who makes our work at the Everything Happens Initiative possible. Lily Endowment, the Duke Endowment, Duke University, Duke Divinity School, and Faith and Leadership, an online learning resource. Thank you so much for your generous support. And my team, Jessica Ritchie, Harriet Putman, Gwen Higginbotham, Keith Weston, JJ Dickinson, Karen and Jerry Bowler, my parents, and Jeb and Sammy. Your gifts make this work shine. And I'm Kate Bowler, and this is Everything Happens. <laughs>